Hey, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Natalie Lennon, founder and director of Two Sides Accounting, a no-nonsense accounting firm helping business owners work smarter through open communication and automation. Natalie is a chartered accountant and the winner of Accountant of the Year 2021. She also hosts a podcast, Totally Boss It, where she chats with guests about how small business owners can become stronger and more successful. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, Natalie Lennon. I'd love to hear the origination story of uh, Two Sides and and how you got into accounting and go all the way back there. (laughs) I'll try and give you an abbreviated version because it is quite a long one. So, you know, I was in year 12, didn't really know what I wanted to do, knew I didn't really want to go to uni and have a big, you know, hex debt. I really just wanted a car and mum and dad weren't going to buy it for me. (laughs) So I literally went to job interviews before I'd finished school. So I had a job lined up, ready to start as soon as I got back from schoolies. Don't know if that's even a thing anymore. Schoolies. <laughs> well, I think it is. It's There seems to be, a you know, some kind of arrest in Byron Bay at Christmas every year. So. Yeah. And for the overseas people listening, that's just, you know, after school's finished, we go away for a week with our friends and go a bit crazy and then we usually start, you know, work or uni or whatever. But, yeah, I had the job lined up. It's like spring break here, I think, is the closest analogy. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I had that lined up and it was a job in the city. It was a junior admin role. You know, I was very excited to get dressed up and, you know, go into the city and and work. And it was a small software company. And being a small company, I got to do, yeah, quite a few different things. I was working quite closely with the financial controller. And he got me starting to do accounts receivable in MYB. And that also included chasing the debtors. And I was 18 years old and having to call people up and ask them for money. And as you can imagine, it was not fun in the beginning, but I got the hang of it and, you know, I I liked it. And then I got to do quite a bit more of, you know, the data entry and, you know, just seeing the other facets of how the the bookkeeping and accounting worked. And I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. Mum was also a bookkeeper and Nan was an accountant, which at the time I didn't even really sort of think about it. Maths was my best subject, but I never thought, you know, accounting was, I guess accounting's not very sexy. It's not something when you're (laughs) at school, you go, I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to, you know, I know some people might, but I didn't. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I decided I was going to go and do TAFE part-time of a night just to see if, you know, if I liked the theory side because, as you know, sometimes you do the theory side and it's not really as interesting and I still didn't want that hex debt weighing over my head. So, yeah, did that for a number of years, really enjoyed it, then decided, okay, I was going to have to um, go off to uni if I wanted to make this serious. So, yeah, enrolled, went off to uni to, to finish it off and in between uh, leaving the software company, I worked for another sort of small business doing a similar thing. And then I went off to work for an accounting firm. And I worked there for quite a number of years and just sort of, you know, moving up the ranks and learning and, and finishing off my uni. 
And then it was a chartered accounting firm. So I knew if I wanted to own my own firm one day. And at that stage, I was young and thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to own my own firm one day, (laughs) which when I go through the rest of the story, that changed and definitely was not the case for a long time. Never thought I'd come full circle. Thought, no, I have to go off and do my chartered accounting graduate diploma. So yeah, studied, did my accounting degree all part-time at night, did one summer school session, which was not fun. You know, all your friends are out partying and on, you know, New Year's Eve, you're getting ready to do an exam in two days' time, which I don't know. It's, do they sit around and go, okay, let's make this exam on like the 2nd of January and let's... <laughs> Just so you're in maximum hangover, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm not doing that ever again. That's one, just get one subject done, tick it off. And then, yeah, I was finished my CA and like a lot of young CAs in public practice, the grass always seems greener in commercial. So off I went back into commercial land, moved up quite quickly. And I think my highest role before I went back to practice was finance manager. But I soon realised that it was a very male-oriented environment and often the director would refer to me as, oh, this is our young, female, attractive finance (laughs) manager, blah, blah, blah. Not, you know, this is Natalie. She's our finance manager. She's a chartered accountant with, you know, like, yeah, and I was just like, this is not for me. The worst kind, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I was getting a little bit bored. You know, when you're in public practice, you're dealing with many different businesses, many different clients that you can make a difference, whereas in commercial, you're really just... I was going to say herding cattle, but maybe that's not, people are going to be upset with that. But no, no. you really, you know, you're managing a team and really you're just overseeing it. You're doing your board reports and you're giving advice in the boardroom, even though they're not listening to you because you're a female. And it just wasn't very fulfilling. And so I was at a bit of a crossroads. You know, I'd been out of public practice for two years and I thought, if I don't go back now, I'm going to lose a lot of my tax knowledge. So I went back into public practice. And I was lucky enough to land into a small firm where the founding partner was uh, had some health issues and wanted to retire quite quickly. So within six months, I had become partner. And I was 28 at the time. There was another partner there as well. And looking back, I won't say it was the wrong decision because it led me to where I am now. But looking back, I wasn't definitely wasn't ready at that stage to become a partner at 28. And I didn't know the firm enough. You know, it was a firm that was established back in the 80s, so there was a lot of still paper-based clients, older client base, all that stuff. So I was there for just over five years. He retired. I thought, great, we're going to come together now. We're really going to take this to the next stage because I guess anyone who's worked for an older firm knows that it's very hard to make those changes because they just do everything the way it's always been done. And so we were doing some business coaching and we went away for the weekend with the group. Uh, it was Slipstream Coaching. I'll give them a shout out. Sharon and Scott, you're both amazing. But just being around other accountants and other accounting firms and seeing what they were doing and what we were doing. And I know light bulb just went off and I thought, you know what? Now's the time. If I'm not happy, I've got to make a change. As scary as that was, you know, to go home to my husband and say, <laughs> I know I've we've borrowed to buy in and because I was a 40% owner. So, you know, it was a lot of money. I borrowed to buy in, but I'm not happy and this is what I want to do. And he was very supportive and said, well, let's just give it a go. And as we know in the accounting industry, if it doesn't work out, 
there's plenty of work. Yes. Accounting's not a job where it's really hard to find another job. So then I transitioned out of there, took a small, you know, small parcel of clients, wasn't a lot, but it was enough to pay the mortgage and pay the bills. And I knew that I could grow it and I had all these ideas. So then Two Sides was born. So now Two Sides has been just over five years, so almost the same time as I was in my partnership. So, yeah, I told you it was a bit of a long story. That was the abbreviated (laughs) version. (laughs) But I think it's still an interesting story for, it is. I guess, people who are not happy with what they're doing. You've got to just take the leap sometimes and give it a go. Otherwise, you'll always wonder. Yeah, no, definitely. And what what does the firm specialise in in terms of sort of the client base and and how are you structured in the staff and operations? <laughs> so in our old firm, we did a lot of trusts, a lot of complicated tax restructuring and all that stuff. And whilst that's interesting and I like it, I felt like I could make more of a difference with the smaller clients, you know, the mum and dads, the startups. Just, I guess, from my commercial background and being in their shoes and understanding the mechanics of it all, whereas a lot of accountants who just do public practice don't get that hands-on experience. So the target from the beginning was startups, which a lot of people in the beginning were like, you're crazy. Startups have no money. What are you doing? (laughs) Especially in Australia, maybe up here though, a bit more. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of the startups that started when I started the firm have grown alongside me and we've had similar issues, similar growing pains. And so it's been a good journey to watch them grow and to, you know, have that support. And so startups and then obviously established businesses that are, you know, small businesses, so probably around maximum couple of million dollars turnover, who like to use tech or want to use tech, use zero. We only take on any clients who are on zero. If they're on something else and they want to move across, that's fine. We move them across. But yeah, want to, who want to automate, who want to, you know, use all the apps and all the things to be more efficient because one of our values is work smarter, not not harder, which I know a lot of people say but don't actually do it. So we live and breathe that. So we look at exactly what they're doing and go, well, hey, we can cut out, you know, so many hours by implementing X, Y, Z, and this is how we do it. And the clients that we have that we brought along the journey to use all the apps and all the things <laughs> really love it and they say it's revolutionised the way they, they work. The team's changed a little bit along the journey, obviously. But at the moment, we've got practice manager who's been with me almost, I think, just over four years now, actually, so a lot of the journey. Yeah, nearly since the start, yep. Yeah, yeah, which I've been so fortunate to have her. She's not an accountant, but she worked uh, as a personal assistant in an accounting firm for many, many years. So she understands the ins and the outs, and she helps me with the management of the team, the does all the engagements and the billing, deals with the client phone calls as they come in. Her and her husband also own a side business, so she's got a little bit of knowledge to be able to help clients with some of the basic inquiries so the accountants can just do their job and don't get interrupted all the time. <laughs> and then at the moment we've got one trainee accountant who's still studying at uni. We've got one accountant who's doing her CA and we're just about to hire another bookkeeper and then one more person. We did have a team of seven which condensed and we just haven't been able to find people. So I'm hoping that in the new year we can fill those other two roles. How do you go about talent acquisition? What what's the biggest problem finding talent, do you think? I think at the moment, because the media like to say there's so many people looking for work and so everybody thinks they're gonna they can demand everything. So they want higher pay, they want 
work from home, which is not a problem for us. We're doing a bit of a hybrid model. But I feel like yeah, the media say all that, and obviously our, our unemployment rate in Australia is quite low. But I still think, like, when we're looking, like I was speaking to a recruit, we've got one recruiter that we trust and we use, and she actually said there's not many people looking locally, like in our local area, because we're about 45 minutes out of the city. So we're looking at potentially having someone work remote, which is totally fine. But yeah, I think just trying to find the right person who's going to fit right within the team dynamic. And because we are a different type of, you know, we're still a young firm, we do everything in the cloud, everything very progressive, very quickly, that when we get people from other older school firms, they just have a different way of thinking. And so sometimes it's hard to try and get them to fit into how we work. So especially with car, like we use carbon, as you know, as well, we've used it from the very beginning. Every person who's come across from an old school firm is like, wow, this is like, we can't believe how easy this is and how good it is compared to the other systems. But then them getting used to me being able to see all their emails as well. <laughs> That'll be right. As long as they're not having an know, affair like, with their work email, they'll be fine. <laughs> no, no. So we have had yeah, a couple of people come who have felt a bit funny about everybody being able to see everything they're doing because it's very transparent, as you know, through Carbon. It is. There was no coincidence, the transparency. <laughs> yeah, we love it. From a management point of view, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'm glad to hear. the the Yeah, see, wherever I go across the world at the moment, or mostly uh, virtually, not physically, um, that talent acquisition and retention issue remains and, and has come back probably with more vigor than after COVID. And it's interesting in Australia sort of saying, well, yeah, there's not a, a lot of great, great fit. So let's just call it that, a great fit for your business out there. W- would you consider sort of overseas or or fully remote? How do you think about it like that? Yeah, look, I think we've come full circle. So when I first started the firm, when I had I had the practice manager who at that stage wasn't the practice manager, she was our client services supervisor, and we had one person in the Philippines and worked quite well. But then we found the turnover in, when you're outsourcing in the Philippines because they're always trying to get more money and there's that sort of piece of it. And so then we found that we were having to replace them quite often. And then we finally got the right fit and then COVID hit, I just wasn't comfortable personally with them working from home. And I know there was a lot of arguments around that stage. Is there a new employer? You have to trust them like anybody else and et cetera, et cetera. But for me, I was like, well, it's not really like an employee in Australia because their circumstances are different. And also we're paying for a service yeah. through a provider. With the overhead of the access. Yeah. Yeah. And why are we paying and, and all that stuff? Yeah. So we went, no, that's it. We're never going back there. It was a bad experience trying to get out of the contract. But now that we've come back to having trouble trying to find people again and looking at we're looking at remote in Australia, we're also looking at options for going overseas again. And we've actually found a couple of different options, which I didn't know were there before. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. So previously when we were looking for offshore, we could only find it had to be a full-time person. And we struggle with that a bit because you're always trying to find them stuff to do. And then when we shut down for Christmas, they don't shut down. So then trying to give them extra, just trying to manage the workflow was a bit difficult. We didn't always have that. So looking at, yeah, part-time and also there's a provider, they're probably a couple that do piecework as well now. So that's something we're looking at as well as we grow again, because, you know, obviously having just that extra resource to give 
jobs to as they come in would be good because I think the biggest issue we've got is trying to resource. I feel like it's feast or famine. So we, when we had a team of seven, we were like, hey, we've got lots of capacity now. Let's chase the work in. Then the clients send one bit and then it's like, hey, we need the next bit. Then it doesn't come in for two weeks, but we've moved on to another job. So that's the hardest thing is, you know, managing all those moving pieces and the expectations. And I feel like the expectations of people haven't changed, even though we're trying to say, well, look, we can't find people. You know, we've got all these extra things we've now got to do, you know, for the government and all the compliance and all of that. But people just want everything yesterday and they they don't care. <laughs> they just want it done. <laughs> Yeah, there's a huge amount more compliance that's crept in. What um, have you seen the being involved in startups and the, and perhaps even micro businesses? How have you seen the economy through your customers' eyes and through your eyes over the last couple of years? And where do you think that that's going to end up as Australia tries to avoid a recession <laughs> as as inflation goes through the roof? I know. Look, touch wood, we haven't had any clients that have had to close due to COVID. We've had a few close calls. There's been, you know, a couple of clients refinancing, trying to consolidate debts and things like that. But I think the biggest problem we see is people living beyond their means and using money that's not theirs. It's the tax officer's money. So we try to, as much as we can, we try to educate our clients to put money aside for tax and GST and all those things. We try to get as many clients as we can on quarterly, either in a quarterly email check-in or a 30-minute call with me to run through their numbers so they understand what's going on, to put aside the tax, to put aside the GST, to put aside the super, and I guess change their thinking to be like, that's not your money. You've got to you know, put that aside. But I guess it's easy for me to say that, but when they need the money, it's sitting there, they're going to use it. So I think that's the biggest piece. But also helping them look at their P&L and look at what they're spending and say, okay, what can we cut back on? How much are we drawing? You know, So we get companies where the directors are just drawing the money out and then we just put the wages through at the end of the quarter. But trying to educate them, well, if, if you're taking out $200,000 a year, basically for every thousand you pull out, there's a thousand of tax there. You know, just giving them that round numbers to say. Yeah, to tax another shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to say, you know, I had a conversation with a client the other day and I said, well, it's only quarter one, but if I annualise what you've drawn out, you're on a salary of $300,000. And I tell you, it wasn't an industry where they should be earning that money. And they've got a big tax debt. So it's trying to help them not go off a cliff, but sometimes they just put their head in the sand and I'm very concerned about where it's heading because I feel like the interest rate rises are not real, like they're making people stand up and listen, but I feel like the generation has gone through, like even COVID, you know, we're all like, oh, we need to tighten down, stop spending all of the rest of it. And then the government just gave everybody all this money. So I feel like everybody's on this false sense of security that we're not going to have a recession. The government's going to give us money. We're all good. Uh, yeah, well, a, a Labor government <laughs> doesn't help that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they probably will give all the money and then Liberal will come back and, anyway, we to go down the politics thing. But, yeah, I know what you mean. So that's I think that's the, the scary thing, people refinancing ATO debts but then not staying on top of their current debt and just getting back into that same cycle. Yeah, it's a very unique thing in Australia, <laughs> using the ATO for... Um, as a credit card. Yeah, and the payment plans. Well, they just give her, I think that's the other thing is we're getting a lot more payment plans because people know they can do it. 
and they know, oh, we'll just ring up and get the interest taken off at the end. It's all right. And we're like, well, yes, but they don't always do that. You know, we've had a few where they haven't. I became an expert at uh, using the the bank of the ATO. <laughs> There's no application. There's not even an application you had to fill in. You just use their money. It's very different up here. And um, you can't finance anything through the IRS. They'll um, come and hunt you down. But uh, as arguably as the way it should be. But uh, there's um, every country is different. Every culture is different in the way that uh, tax is collected. All right. So what I'm hearing here is the chances of recession are high, but also the chances of a Labor government bailing the country out of way up there too. Yeah. If they have any money left, I don't know if they. Yeah. Well. They'll be paying for COVID for a couple of generations. So, Well, they're auditing it now, so we're getting quite a few audits for all the government handouts. But I think it must be automated because the questions we're getting are questions that we answered when, when the clients applied. So, oh, that's a whole other segment. <laughs> you just got to match your answers. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, the fraud up here, there was a uh, – you can imagine the scale here of, of the PPP and – People sort of pretty quickly worked out the loopholes and, of course, the government doesn't have the infrastructure to manage it and uh, away they go. <laughs> What's next for you guys next or you team next year in the business and personally? So I guess business-wise, we have sort of come a full circle, which I know I've said a couple of times on the, the podcast today, but I feel like you know, we, we were growing pretty rapidly year on year. COVID hit, we were still growing and then the second COVID sort of hit, then it did start to quiet down. We also took that time to really sit down and look at our client base and go, okay, who do we want to work with, not want to work with? We actually disengaged from quite a few clients that we didn't want to work with anymore just because, you know, the 80-20 rule and looking at the profitability and all the rest of it was more profitable than we were before and we've culled some of the turnover, which is fantastic, living the dream there. But I think also due to COVID, I had fallen out of love with what I did. So I've had a bit of a journey about what can I do to get that love back. So obviously I had a, a big overseas trip, which was fantastic. And I did impl- implement sort of late last year to work four days a week, which when we're busy, I end up working five days again. But I'm like, no, no, I've set that now. I've told the clients I'm working four days a week. I'm having five days off, which is really, really nice to do and have that work-life balance back. Our lease is up for renewal next year. We're not really sure whether we're going to renew that or not because we're working more from home now, even though we spent a lot of money fitting it out and, and all the rest <laughs> of it. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I'm not going to, like I'm saying to a few people, like, yes, I've spent money fitting it out and, yes, it's great, but it's a lot of money and it's in my mind now it's unnecessary. So I think what we're going to potentially do is, go back to the co-working space, which we used to rent before we had our own office, just part-time so we can meet clients and things because we've been doing you know, mostly from home and a bit in the office and just doing a bit of a rebirth, I guess. Try and get back to enjoying it a bit more. <laughs> yeah, and just realising that growing and having a big team and all the rest of it is not... Not the be-all and end-all. <laughs> no. Well, I, you know, I've speak to other accountants too who have grown and they're working 60, 70 hours a week. They're not happy and they're not earning any more than they were earning a couple of years ago. So for me, I'm like, well, no, I've I've ticked the box. I've grown. I've got the office. I've done all the things, but it's not giving me the joy that I thought it was going to give me and what am I doing it for? So I'm just having this, you know, epiphany of let's just look at exactly what we want 
and next year let's do that and stop doing all the things that don't bring us joy. I know you know Ian Vase and he he uh, initiated a study that was that sort of showed exactly that. It's it's like this sort of um, up curve, but the up curve has constant waves of dissatisfaction and and lack of profitability, which yeah. probably is synonymous with with enjoyment. I imagine <laughs> as well. Yeah, you know, like you do all this fucking hard work and. Uh, you get to, I don't know, call it 30 staff or something, and you're like, you're fucking miserable. It's like, <laughs> now what? You know, like, now you can sort of fight through, obviously, and it's not limited to accounting. There's every business has different stages, and some of us enjoy the um, various aspects. Some of us are better at running large organizations. Some of us are better off enjoying the, uh, the fruits of your labor and the value creation. Creating something from nothing is, um, is no mean feat, right? Like it is, it is absolutely a thing. And uh, if that's where you get your joy, then that's where you want to concentrate. And that's the thing too. I feel like, as I said earlier, you know, the, the entrepreneurs on Instagram and all the rest of it grow a business that you don't have to work in and do all this stuff. A, it's a bit of a pipe dream because not everybody gets there. And B, I like talking to my clients. I don't really want to have a really big team where I don't deal with the clients. That's the whole point of why people come to work with us because they're going to get FaceTime with me, they're going to get looked after, they're going to get that small firm feel. So if we then grow to that size, then they're not getting that. And I think that that can happen in a lot of businesses that I've seen. I've seen gyms that have this boutique feel and then they grow and then they don't have that feel anymore and the people who went there for that feel are gone and then you just the hamster on the wheel type of deal. But it comes back to, as we said before, what your goals are, what you want to achieve. It's not just growing for the sake of it. No, no. I mean, that that's a no- normal cycle in life and you just have to be very deliberate about the decisions that you make that suit you, right? Like it's um, it's no, no secret in that, but it is easier said than done. I'm trying to get, get my words around the right way. You know, you've got to be very deliberate and that's you can easily wake up each day and sort of go and do the thing and then, all of a sudden it's two years later. Oh, 100%. I think as well as personal goals, which I didn't answer your question as well. So the the personal goals sort of align with the business goals too. So the work-life balance is allowing me to, you know, get out and exercise more. During COVID, we all fell into a bit of a hole where all we did was sit on the chair for 24 hours a day. Yeah, you're telling me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we're still, I'm still trying to pay for that. I'm still trying to get rid of those extra kilos and fit back into those clothes. But yeah, just to think about my health a bit more, what I eat, exercising, all that stuff. Yeah, stop drinking the whole bottle of wine on Tuesdays. Yeah. There was some Mondays there during COVID where I was like, I don't care what day it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I get it. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> I'm as guilty as anyone. Uh, yeah. Well, tell me about Italy then. That sounds fun. What? Uh, where did you go and um, and why Italy? Yeah, so I was singing for an overseas holiday, you know, after COVID and my husband actually opened a gym during COVID. So To get him to take time away from his new little baby was very, very hard, but it was his 40th birthday. And so he also does run coaching. That's his thing. He loves trail running through the mountains, loves it. And he found that there was a race in Italy. So as soon as he said that, I was like, okay, are we good? Let's book it. Let's go. We're going to line this up. Yeah. 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 
So we flew into Milan and we actually went over the border to Zermatt in Switzerland for a couple of nights, which was absolutely amazing. Switzerland's beautiful, very expensive but beautiful. And then, yeah, back in Italy, in northern Italy, in a really small little town called Domodossola where they don't speak English. Most of the menus are in Italian, which is all part of the adventure. And then, yeah, he, he ran a, I think it was a 36-kilometre race through the mountains with all the other crazy people. And then we, we did two and a half weeks of Italy. So we went to Venice, Verona, then down to Florence, Cinque Terre, Positano, Naples, Rome. I think that's mostly all of it, but, yeah, we just... There you go. Fuck, you did cover a fair bit of ground in it too. We did it, yeah, yeah. That's the Aussie way, though. The... <laughs> well, the trains are really good over there as well. So, you know, high-speed trains, we just travelled around the trains everywhere. It was just really, really easy. And, yeah, we got a lot of Italy, but we still didn't do the whole thing. So I'd love to go back one day, but... Oh, no. No, there's plenty to go with Yeah, Sicily and uh, a couple of different places. Florence is amazing as well. So perhaps another trail run in... Um in Europe next year. Nice and France has got a trail run. There you go. You can, through the vineyards and stuff, you can check that out. Yeah, we've been having a little look. I think we need to replenish the <laughs> bank account. So I think it'll probably be more likely, it'll be 2024, which will line up with my 40th. So that'll be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there you go. No, you don't look a day over th- 25. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Natalie, this has been fantastic. Thank you for uh, joining us on the Accounting Leaders podcast. Congratulations on all your success <laughs> so far and uh, look forward to doing it again. Awesome. Thanks, Stuart. Lovely to chat. Likewise. Thank you. Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com slash resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.